We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. If you would, uh, turn with me to your listening sheet. In your bulletin, you'll see we're going to read a portion of our reverse text for this week in Judges chapter 6. And also note as we're reading, there, there will be a little break in there. We're going to skip from verse 10 to verse 13 uh, as we're reading along on the text. So if you would, stand with me, and we're going to read this aloud together. This, then, is the text for today. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Then Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? May God bless the reading of his word. You know, it happened again. It happens again like it happened last week. You see, the same thing that happened in last week's reverse text happens again in this week's reverse text. So remember with me, as we think back to last week, we were in Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5, and one of the telling lines in there was that the peasantry ceased. As it was, farming came to a screeching halt. The economy... Uh, came to a standstill because King Jabin's army tormented Israel to the point that they couldn't even leave their homes. That disaster lasted 20 years for the nation of Israel. And then God raised up Deborah among them to steer Israel into 40 years of peace. Now in that 40 years of peace, Israel began to forget their God again. See, because this week, 40 years later, we get the same song but a different verse. See, after 40 years of peace, Israel has seven years of chaos at the hands of the Midianites. And they see this seven years of turmoil because they fell back into the same old sins. Israel had become the same sinful Israel that they had been before. They were chasing after the things that their fathers chased after. They had forgotten the word of the Lord. They had forgotten his commandments and where God had called them to go. And so these days, as they had fallen into sin, Israel was there raising their crops and tending to their livestock. And when the harvest would come, and they were ready to, to reap what they had sown, the Midianites and others would rush in and steal all their food, steal their herds, so that Israel would have nothing for the winter. 
In fact, it, it got so bad among the nation of Israel, year after year, seven years of this, it got so bad that they couldn't even hide in their homes. They would flee, and they ran up into the hills, and they would hide in caves. They'd be stuck behind rocks and watching from afar, seeing who was taking everything that was theirs. You see, for seven years, they had to watch from the hills as the Midianites took everything that they needed to survive. Even Gideon, the one that we're reading about. In fact, we're going to be studying Gideon for, Gideon for about a month. Even Gideon, the, the one God had raised up to deliver Israel, was cowering in a hidden corner, filling a wine press with wheat. You see, normally in those days, the, the, the wheat was threshed out on an open threshing floor up where, where anybody and everybody could see and the oxen were going and, and the, 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 the sledges were, were beating the wheat. And, and as it was, you, you were out in the open and then up above you, there's this distinct tan cloud that would rise up overhead that it was obvious to everybody around you what was happening and that the wheat harvest was in. You see, it was nearly impossible to be discreet when you're harvesting your wheat. And then under the circumstances, Gideon circled around and, and put his wheat in the wine press. See, a wine press was, was much smaller. It's hidden away, tucked in the corners of the hills. And what you had, you, you would have two vat, a, a vat up top for the grapes, and then one even lower and, and less easily seen down below that, that the, the juice would flow into. Smaller and hidden, and that's where you found Gideon, down there with, with a stick, beating the wheat to separate out the grain. Now, on some level, this is ingenious, but on another level, wheat in the wine press is a perfect example of everything that is wrong with Israel. You see, what has happened is out of fear, Gideon is trying to make this life work on his own. When we operate out of fear, we are in trouble. And when we try to operate on our own, it is going to be over. It is a disaster. He's not going to find his hope, and he's not going to find what's next in the bottom of a wine press with his wheat. You see, he, he's here, and he's standing before them. He's standing before us in the text, and he has a solution. But his solution to their problem is terribly short-sighted. But even beyond being short-sighted, the solution that Gideon comes up with is inefficient, and it does nothing to solve the problem that he and all Israel is faced with. You see, there's a much deeper issue that they should be worried about. In fact, Gideon doesn't need to worry about the little bit of wheat that he got out of that wine press. Gideon doesn't even need to be worried about the Midianite army that is on the horizon before them. There is something much greater that he needs to be fearful of. You see, what we recognize is wheat in the wine press is not a solution. It is a symptom of misplaced fears. And, you know, we find that the same sort of troubles among us in our lives in this country today, all kinds of misplaced fear. You know, it's interesting because I'm not sure how long we can take it because as it is, fear has just sort of swelled up around us and fear has come to the point where it is at a fever pitch above us. It's as if the world has just turned the fever meter up to 11 to get a reaction out of us to see what's going to happen next. And we just scurry like mice in a never-ending terror experiment. 
You know, it's, it, it differs depending on what day it is and, and who you're listening to, on, on where the, the feeder mirror, uh, feed, fear meter is and where it gets turned up. But, you know, it gets turned up on, on all kinds of things. In fact, there are all kinds of uh, scary, scary realities on the horizon that are in front of us. And we can name what those scary realities coming over the horizon are. You know, we see, you just this weekend, you've seen all kinds of stories on climate change, that Death Valley, California, hit 130 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a scary reality that we're faced with. You know, there's a looming market correction, or so the experts tell us, that one of these days the market is going to crash. They say you see the valuations of all of these companies, and, and it's hard to tell the difference in the complicated mess of tangible assets and, and intangible assets. This is a scary reality that we're facing. What happens if the market crashes? And we've seen, too, it's a scary reality. We've outsourced nearly all of our manufacturing so that we no longer control raw materials or logistics in this country. It's a scary reality. You know, we're exposed to gray zone warfare now like we've never been before. Hackers are breaking into our unprepared critical systems and infrastructure, taking us down and holding us hostage. We're not prepared for this. It's a scary reality that's in front of us. We also see all around us, everything has become way too over-sexualized, including people's identity. We have no uh, idea what identity means anymore. It's a scary reality. The cancel culture of political correctness is a scary reality. You know, maybe just as scary as all of this is the for-profit media that just keeps turning the fear meter up so high they break the knob. It's all a pretty scary reality that we're living in. Now, I'm not saying these are not real issues. They're significant issues that our world is facing and our culture is facing and our nation is facing today. But the problem is that many of us hear of these kinds of things and, and we, we run and hide. We run and put our wheat in the wine press and try to just get whatever little bit we can out of it. We think we have a solution, but our solutions only reveal that we fear the world much more than we fear our God. You know, we fear where our culture is headed. We fear that the this, this slope, they're careening down. But why? Because, again, I'm, I'm not saying the present reality isn't dire. It, it, it is. But I'm saying as believers, we're called to fear our God and God alone. We're not called to fear anything of this world or any situation this world throws at us because we know the Creator and we know the Sustainer, and we fear God and God alone. You see, this, this world is broken, and we recognize the brokenness of this world. And in the brokenness of the world, God has sent a Savior to heal us and redeem us. And, and what we recognize in the church, that, that the brokenness of the world and everything as it's cracking and falling apart, is at the hands of a disobedient people. You know, as we look at the admonition from, from God to Israel in our text for today, at Gideon's over there hiding wheat in the wine press because he feared the, the Midianites and what they might do to him. But God sent a message, and he said, you see these fearful things on the horizon. You see the fearful Midianites that are out there. But let me tell you, I have a message for you. Let me tell you what the prophet says. So if you look with me at, at Judges chapter 6, 8 through 10, this was the word of the Lord to them. And God says, it is I. I am the one who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. Just pause there for a minute. God is saying, 
Egypt was nothing compared to my crushing hand. I, I moved Pharaoh uh, just, just like a puppet, and I brought you out, and I brought you across the Jordan, uh, brought you across the Red Sea, then I brought you across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. I am the one who is with you. I am the one who hold the keys to the universe, and my power is above and greater anything that you fear on this earth. And so he keeps saying, yeah, you need to remember who I am. I am the deliverer. See, that's where he goes in verse 9. He says, I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians, from the hands of all your oppressors, and dispossessed them before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear. Don't fear those gods. Do not fear them. Do not fear anything of them in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Do you hear what God's telling him? Say, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of what's on the horizon? Why are you afraid of the gods of the Amorites? Why are you afraid of the Midianites? God is telling him, you fear me. I am your creator, and it is in my hand that you live or die. Our God controls the Amorites. God is controlling and is Lord over the Midianites. And what he's saying is there, there's deeper issues here. There's deeper issues uh, where all these problems you're facing arise. And the solution is not found in stuffing your last bit of wheat into a wine press. He's saying, Israel, all of this happened because you were disobedient to me. It's because you have forgotten me. You have forgotten my word. You have forgotten my commandments. You have forgotten my ways, and you no longer obey me. If you would remember me as your deliverer, if you would remember my commands and my ways, all will be made right. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I get, get asked about the times that we are in now with all the things that we're dealing with. You know, that, that list that, that I listed before. And I even left plenty out. There's plenty of other things that drive fear among us. It's like the pandemic, COVID-19. And so uh, people come and ask me, and they say, Pastor, what about these trials? How do, what do we make of what's going on right now among us? And, and in that, I usually get asked one of four questions because it's, it's usually phrased something like this. God, or excuse me, Pastor, w where are these trials coming from? Is, is this God's punishment on us, like Israel, like we're seeing in the text here? Is a, Pastor, is all of these trials, is this a test of faith? Is this something more like Job? And I come and say, Pastor, is this, is this something like the apocalypse? Is this the book of Revelation? Are we, are we living in Revelation? Or, or we get something more like, Pastor, with all these trials that we've seen around us, is this just random circumstance? And so, you know, we, we move from, from Exodus to Job to Revelation to just random circumstance. And, you know, these questions are very similar to the questions Gideon asked God here. If you look down with me, Verse 13, Gideon says to God, O oh Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And you know, for, for Israel in Judges chapter 6, he tells him clearly why. He says, I can tell you exactly why all of this has happened to you. All of this has happened to you, children of Israel, children of God, is because you have been disobedient to me. But if you would cry out to me, I will deliver you from all that you are facing. See, God even commands them, stop fearing Midian. Start fearing me. That if they would fear God more than they feared Midian, the terror would be over. If they would obey God as well as they hid wheat in the wine press, they would be free. But you know, when it comes to us, you know, I could tell you 
you know what, what I think it might be. You know, they say, Pastor, is this punishment? Is this, is this a test? Is this the apocalypse? Is this just random? You know, I, I can tell you what, what I think it might be, all these cultural pressures, the pandemic, and where it might be coming from. But I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth it for me to tell you what I think it is. And, and really, I don't think it matters what, what any of us think it is or what our current circumstances are. And this is why. Because it doesn't matter which one of those four things it is. Our response to all four are exactly the same. Our response is to fear the Lord our God and to serve and obey Him. That's the same response no matter where we find ourselves. As we look up and we say, God, why? His response is always going to be, fear me and serve me. If you will fear me and serve me, all will be made right. That if we will commit our lives to Jesus Christ, and if we will fear the Lord more than we fear an ever-changing culture, all will be well. You know, I know this sounds terribly simple, but let us not be like Naaman. Sometimes it's the simple that we need. See, we need to fear the Lord and do the things that he's already asked us to do. When we go about it, we make life more complicated. We're dropping wheat in the wine press. Instead, we need to trust and fear Jesus Christ by doing what he's already told us to do. Let me tell you this morning, if you want to attack the sinful culture that surrounds us, if you want to lead the way for revival in San Antonio, it will not happen in some grand overture. It happens in simple obedience to Jesus Christ. Go to the Gospels and read what Jesus has told us to do. And when we step out and are obedient to him, it is transformative, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our community as well. When we are obedient to Jesus Christ, it changes things, changes things in our hearts, and it changes things in our community. So as a church, what we do is we go back to the gospel, and we say, what has Jesus already asked us to do? As we look through the gospels, there are all kinds of things in there that Jesus has told us to be about. But one of the things that we focused in on a church is we, we focused in on the book of Matthew. And, and if nothing else, maybe we can do the first thing Jesus told us to do, and maybe we can do the last thing that Jesus told us to do. If you go back and you read the book of Matthew and read the first things Jesus told us to do and the last things he told us to do, pretty simple steps that we need to start taking. First one, the first word of Jesus' ministry is what? Be repentant. First thing he says is repent. You go to the end before the ascension, the last thing Jesus tells, uh, tells the, his, his apostles in the gathering church, he says, you need to go and you need to be a witness for me and the crucifixion and the resurrection. He says, you need to go and you need to disciple people to teach them to follow me and love me and serve me and obey me and fear me. That if you would be repentant and if you would witness and you would disciple, you will change everything about yourself and the community that surrounds you. When you are obedient to Jesus Christ, it's like putting a smooth, small stone into a sling. And only then are you ready to slay cultural giants. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.